Hello everybody. So nice to drop in today and connect with you all. I'm with one of my incredible friends and someone who initiated my journey into podcasting. And now we're going to we're going to share from our hearts. We're going to really dive deep into into his story and how his story has shaped him because he is such an incredible soul who doesn't even realize his own light and I think that in this space now we're gonna see it and I'm so excited for you guys to feel into this as well so my friend Drew if you'd love to introduce yourself and let's see where this conversation goes thank you Emma that's a very beautiful introduction I appreciate that (laughs) And yeah, introduce myself. I have been on this podcast before, back about a year and a half ago now. Yeah, and it was a it was a big moment for me. That moment of kind of putting a voice to some of my experience that I've often been been hiding and not sharing with the world. And I think since then I've continued to kind of step into my role, step into my what I perceive to be my purpose in this life. But yeah, I guess just who am I? Who is Drew Um, from the U.S. Atlanta, Georgia? And I was working at a bank after the university in finance, and I had Hodgkin lymphoma, stage two, enter my life of a blood cancer when I was 25 years old and working at the bank. And that was kind of what started my journey, I'd say, where I took a little sabbatical from the bank to to travel a bit. And yeah, one thing kind of led to another, which leads me to where I am today, about four and a half years after leaving the bank. And I'm actually coming up on my five years since my last chemotherapy treatment, which will be September 12th. So next month will be my five years of being cancer-free, which I was actually thinking about that this morning on my run, that uh, five years is just kind of a big number or landmark, I guess, in the the cancer world. So being cancer-free for five years, it is a big, I guess it is a big deal. So I'm uh, excited to celebrate that, uh, but it is coming at a big time in my life. So I've been traveling, and you know me and my story. I've been taking things very slow and trying to follow my intuition wherever it takes me. I've been learning a lot. I've been very curious in my mind, um, but I think that I finally have the clarity that I've been looking for since I left the bank, and I feel clear. I feel more confident in what I have to share and what my purpose is, while some of the details of what this business that I'm working on is going to look like are not totally clear, I do feel clear that I'm living aligned and that I have found and tapped into this energy within myself that I'm, I've been following. And I'm following this energy. I'm following the intuition. And I know that I'm on the right path. And I have confidence now in the value that I have to offer. And I have confidence in the value of my story which I think is kind of what you referenced there at the beginning of me sharing a bit more about my story. And yeah, kind of going back to our previous conversation, I was mentioning it to you in this previous podcast. One of my best friends who knows me really well was telling me how much he loved the podcast and how he could have kept listening. Uh, But he, he said that he was surprised that we didn't talk at all about the cancer. You know, for him, he was like, that's that, you know, that was a big part of, of, who you are and where you are today. And he just thought it was interesting that that didn't get brought up. And so I think that was one of the reasons we wanted to to get back on to maybe talk about some of that a little bit. 
And I think as I, I think about myself and the way that I've shared and the way that I've met people and connected and shown up in the world since then, I have often avoided bringing that up, especially at the beginning when I'm just meeting somebody. It's not the first thing I go to is like, oh yeah, like I've you know survived cancer and I'm a cancer survivor. For some reason, I I always prefer to let that come up later, more naturally, more. Um, I don't know. I think it was something about me feeling that it was almost cool that people find that out later. Like they meet me, they see what I'm up to now, what I'm doing now, and then they learn that later, and it hits even harder. I think. Um, so I, I I kind of prefer to not just go straight into it, but I often think that I was avoiding it almost. And um, I do feel like now I'm much more open about addressing it and and really recognizing its value because I totally appreciate it and have so much gratitude towards cancer coming into my life. And I totally recognize that it had such a big part to play and to pushing me in the direction that I uh, needed to go down in order to find more meaning and more purpose and to share and inspire others. So I think I'm at this place of gratitude and recognition for, for the value of, of that part of my unique journey and what it's done to me to put me where I am today. Mm. One of the things I admire about you so much is your authenticity. You speak straight from the heart. There is no filters at all Mm. when you speak. And I think that comes through and that's what came through in the last podcast. And, and I think that this is an incredible opportunity for you to now to share deeper into that story. So I, I would love for you to share from your heart that initial moment when you first found out that you had been diagnosed with cancer at that age yeah. with the lifestyle that you had then. Like, how did that feel yeah. and what did that bring up for you? Yeah. So basically it was a Sunday and I was playing golf with three friends. It was a hot summer day in Atlanta. Atlanta, similar to Valencia, can get quite quite hot in the summertime. And we were finishing the round and I remember I was having chills. So I was having like fever symptoms and I was like literally shivering on a Sunday, a hot Sunday in Atlanta. I was like, whoa, this doesn't seem right. Uh, and then that night I got very sick. I was throwing up and just felt terrible, nausea, and I decided to go to the CVS Minute Clinic the next day. So next day was a Monday, and I skipped work to go get checked out. So I knew it was something that was more serious than normal, just a typical cold. And I was getting checked out, and she was treating me for the flu in this Minute Clinic. So it wasn't even a real doctor. It was just in a pharmacy where you can get easy, quick prescriptions. And she was treating me for the flu, even though I was negative in at the end of the session, I pointed out to her this mask that had been on my neck that I'd noticed the last few months. Mm. And it was just slightly inflamed. There was some swelling there on the neck. And I'd noticed it for a few months, to be honest with you. Um, Especially when sleeping, I I remember I would cough and I could feel it. I knew it was there, but there was no pain. There was no pain involved with it. I thought that maybe I'd strained a muscle in my neck playing golf. Didn't think anything of it. But when I told her in that minute clinic about this and I asked her to look at it, I remember her measuring it and just being very serious with me. And she was like, you need to go get this checked out. And I could mm-hmm. sense, I could feel her seriousness. And then I went to mm-hmm. the doctor the next day, ear, nose and throat doctor. He had the same reaction. He's like, we need to, we need to do a scan. Like, you know, this could, mm-hmm. you know, he was 
the same level of seriousness that I was able to to feel. So I, at this point, I know that there's there's kind of this uh, uneasiness. There's something going on here, but I didn't. I never thought of cancer, to be honest. And then we did the scan. So two days later on Thursday, so it's four days since this golf on Sunday, he gives me the calls at the bank, you know, that you have cancer. You know, that's all he could say from the scan, though, is you have cancer. And I do remember being in this conference room in uh, on the trading floor in the bank where I worked at. And like it hit me and I did have this like moment of losing my control of emotions. And, you know, I was I felt weak and I felt vulnerable and but I was also in this bank, you know, this setting. And I quickly like shoved that away and like tried to get myself together and went back to work the rest of the day. So there was a lot of suppression there and not allowing myself to feel what was wanting to come up, the fear and the unknown. Uh, But it was tough because at that point he just told me that I have cancer, but they didn't know what, what type of cancer they could just identify a mass based on the scan that they did but that they needed to do a biopsy to, to really figure out what was the exact type of cancer. So then we did the biopsy the next day on a Friday and we waited all weekend to get the results on Sunday. And that is when my, my doctor called me and he gave me the news that it was stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was um, a good thing. That was good news for us to receive that it was this specific type of cancer. And I'll never forget like my dad, who was super stoic, no emotions uh, typically. Mm-hmm. And I remember him like when he heard that news, like he started crying a little bit and, I, and it was like happy tears. It was tears of appreciation. I never seen that from him ever. And mm-hmm. that just it helped me like, you know, appreciate the, the power and how big of a moment that was. And, and then it also helped me understand that this was good news, that it was stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma. Because I I didn't really know that I I took the strategy of avoiding it was like dissociation of the whole mm-hmm. situation I was just trying not to research anything I didn't want to know I just I was gonna put all of my trust in the doctors and everything they're saying and I didn't I didn't want to know I wasn't researching what types of cancer it could have been um, with lymphoma because that was what they were suspecting based on the location and the lymph nodes so there was two different types of lymphoma the Hodgkins and the non-Hodgkins but I didn't put any time into researching that and, and understanding what that meant, but my dad did. And so he knew when we got that information that this was really good news, that Hodgkin's lymphoma is more treatable and higher percentage of cure rates. So that was kind of that first week, which was a, a really difficult week in the whole uh, the cancer process. Um, and then following that, it was another week or two of just endless appointments, meeting with different oncologists and trying to create a plan. And I think that these were the most difficult weeks. It was the uncertainty um, of what this news meant and what we were to do. But I think once we got a plan in place, we picked our doctor, we picked and we chose our plan. It was clear that we were going to do this chemotherapy for this long. And you know we should have this results now in this moment. And if we don't, then we'll it was very clear. And once we got that clarity and all the unknowns and the uncertainties were kind of um, ironed out a little bit, it, it really was pretty smooth. My, my process mm-hmm. and experience. with cancer. Yeah. You mentioned you had this sense of dissociation in the, in the journey like yeah. earlier on. Was that for you a way to, to feel safe through this? Because obviously you didn't fully understand the process or what was happening. Like what was that oh, yeah. immediate reaction of dissociation for you? 
For sure. I think it was overwhelming fear and emotions that were coming with this news. And my only way I knew how to handle it was to dissociate, to not feel it, to get away from it. Like that's too much. I can't deal with that. I'm going to shut down and get away from it. Uh, Both like consciously, like not trying to think about it, but also like emotionally as well of suppressing feelings and avoiding avoidance. Yeah. And I guess when you reflect back on that, like with hindsight, maybe that was what you actually needed to do at the time in order to allow yourself to move through the experience you were having. Definitely. I think that in that moment, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the resilience to the awareness to be able to handle what was a very intense feelings and emotions. And then there was the conditioning of society. You know, I'm a, I'm, I put pressure on myself to be the the strong male, you know, that doesn't, that keeps things together. That is, you know, strong and, and stoic. And uh, I know that that was part of it was, was avoiding that, those feelings of vulnerability and of being weak. But I know we, me and you have talked and I've come to really embrace and to see the value of being vulnerable. And mm-hmm. I have been working the last few years on, on, using tools to be able to self-regulate myself better and to to create more resilience to be able to be with some of these more intense uh, emotions and sensations within the body yeah mm-hmm. before we before we go to like this side of your journey I'd love to stay with like the Drew there for a little while and just explore like yeah. how he was feeling and where he was and for you was there ever a moment when you when you received that diagnosis when you see receive that news where you you ask the question, like, why is this happening to me? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely felt the why me, why me, you know, it was, it was so, it was shocking that this is happening to me and that all of a sudden I was being thrown into the, the public eye, which was a place that I didn't want to be. I had no interest in, in that. And my friends and people that know me really well know, from back when I was younger know that I didn't like being in front of people. I didn't like public speaking. I didn't, all that stuff made me very uncomfortable. And this was very uncomfortable to be thrown into the the public eye like this. And I'm getting all sorts of showered with support from, from friends and family all over the world. And it really was amazing to, to feel the the support. And I think that uh, it was, I felt the strength, like going into this, into this treatment phase, I felt this unbelievable love and strength. Like I was just felt like I was ready. I remember this feeling of football from when I was younger. It was like that feeling of like ready to run through a brick wall. That was like a metaphor that our, our coach used. And I had that going into my first chemotherapy treatment. And then like nothing happened. I was like, they, you know, they put a IV through my port and I sat there for three and a half, four hours and I felt normal. And I just felt like a, a bit of a fraud, you know, like I had this huge support community system coming to my my support and giving me all this amazing encouragement and love. And it was nothing. Like I did I literally didn't feel any different before and after this chemo. So I was just like, whoa, that uh, you know, and people are telling me, like, Drew, you're so strong. Like, and it was mm-hmm. difficult because I remember this phase of of being showered with the support. And I know these people are coming from good places, you know, like I totally recognize that. But I wasn't feeling seen, you know. I was, I was feeling like a, a different person than what people were sharing with me, and I was doing what everybody would have done in that situation. I was just 
doing what the doctors were telling me and trying to have as good of an attitude about it as possible. Um, but you know, when people are saying like, you're so strong and, uh, it was difficult for me to, to really feel and accept that because I hadn't done anything yet. You know, a lot of this is, is coming before I've even done one chemo treatment. And, but again, I, I recognized that there was a lot of good heartedness that was coming from that. I just felt that I wasn't being seen and that I was a bit of a fraud for kind of putting off this image of like the, you know, tough guy going through cancer. And, um, when it really wasn't, it wasn't that overly challenging for me, especially in the first half of my chemo treatments. Mm -hmm. I will say the, the last half I did really start to feel the cumulative effects of the, of the treatment of the medicine. And I was getting quite sick and, you know, I was throwing up and it was, uh, not comfortable. <laughs> I was not comfortable, but I kind of, I laugh about it in, in describing it as I had hangovers at the university that were worse than my worst chemo treatments. Mm -hmm. And that's some of my university experiences really prepared me for, for chemo because I really partied hard in college and had some vicious hangovers from there and <laughs> some hangovers that were significantly worse than my entire experience with chemo. So I do think that that was part of my experience with cancer was dealing with this kind of um, imposter syndrome, I guess, of, you know, not feeling like I was the person that people were perceiving me to be and that uh, it was it was uncomfortable. Um, while I appreciated all the amazing support and energy that I felt from my community, I also felt that I was a fraud. <laughs> wow. Do you, do you think that that was that you felt that way because of this perception that you had around what strength meant. Like you had this image of the man, this strong man that was, that was providing, that was, that was doing the things, right. You were, you were into sports. So like the sportsman, the, the doing the things, the production, the productivity at work. And when you were in this space, it was obviously you were experiencing the complete opposite of that. So do you think this kind of idea of I'm a fraud was because it wasn't matching what you perceived to be strong as a man? Hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe some of it was that, but I, I feel like it was more just being a fraud of people having expectations for what cancer means, what that word means and what comes with that. And cancer is potential death. Right. And, and I think that there's just the word itself is such a powerful word that comes with so much and people have their idea of what cancer means. And I had my idea of what cancer was before that. And what my experience was, was not what I thought cancer was, nor was it what I think that my community perceived cancer to be. So I think that that was maybe a big part of this imposter syndrome was just um, having an expectation around what cancer means and what, the, what that comes with. And then my experience being very different than what the expectations were for cancer. So I, I recognized, and going back to that ori original question, I did have those moments of why me, especially at the beginning. Um, but I realized very quickly how fortunate I was, you know, starting with that original diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma and then going to the chemo infusion center and seeing the people around me. Like you literally sit in a chair and there's people to your right, to your left, in front of you. And I realized that I was very different in this infusion center. I was 25 years old. Mm, I'm not going to say healthy because I was uh, eating 
very poorly and my exercise was also very poor and I was actually 40 pounds more than I am today. Uh, but I was relatively healthy and especially compared to those around me. And I saw people in this infusion center that were literally fighting for their lives. I remember one person in particular that was just on the brink of, of death. And I can remember seeing his face and like the, his eyes. And uh, I knew very early on that I had it good, that I had it good. So there was this sense of gratitude from very early on in my cancer journey. But I did have those questions like immediately, why me? But not for very long, I'd say. I'd say that I connected with the gratitude pretty quickly in this process. When you connected to that gratitude really quickly, was there also this sense of fear of allowing yourself to be vulnerable in in the actual pain of the situation? Because I can imagine no matter how far along you are or where you are on this journey or how bad or good or worse it is, that that's still such a heavy thing to hold for anybody. Definitely. Yeah. I think I felt the gratitude, but I still avoided feeling this deeper fear and emotions that came with this whole situation. I totally think that I avoided that. And I think I, I think I used the the gratitude and the maybe the pressure of how good I had it compared to some of the people around me to put even more of that pressure on myself that, oh, you can't feel any of this stuff because you have it so good. Yeah, I think that is that does make sense. And of my way of coping throughout was you have it so good, you can't complain, you know? Was there a moment that you actually gave yourself permission to feel or was this something that came a lot later on in, in your journey? I do feel like it was later when I really allowed for it to feel more. But that said, I do remember when I rang the bell. So when I finished my last chemo treatment and I rang the bell, which, yeah, that was a pretty intense and emotional moment. Um, I remember just ringing it. I had low expectations. And then just the, the whole place, like, you know, going into applause and like people, all cancer patients and everybody was so happy and, uh, I just, I couldn't, I was overwhelmed in that moment, that particular moment. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Just feeling that support and just, we're all on the same team here. And, uh, it was really powerful, but I will say, I, I don't think that I let that integrate that, that deep emotions that were kind of churned up from that particularly powerful moment. I think that I was back, you know, back to the, back to the grind, back to wanting, I wanted my life to be normal. That's what I wanted more than anything with this whole cancer situation was I just wanted to get back to being normal. I didn't like being special Drew that was in everybody was sending messages to and in, in the public's eye. So I tried to keep working at the bank during my four months of chemo. I would miss, you know, a day of work for the treatment and then pro- usually the day after. But I wanted to keep I wanted to feel normal again. I wanted to continue working. I wanted the, my coworkers to have our same conversations and laugh and joke around and not treat me differently. I didn't like being treated differently at all. And I think that actually comes back to the authenticity that you mentioned at the beginning, which is definitely a value of mine, something that I really uh, take a lot of appreciation in and hope to really share and transmit for myself and something that I really appreciate in others when I can feel it there as well. Uh, 
but yeah, I just, sometimes you don't feel that authenticity when you're the, the cancer, the guy that's going through cancer, you know, you feel people like they don't know what to say really. And they're trying to make you feel better, but I often didn't really want that. I just wanted to have normal, authentic conversations where we're joking around. And I really am appreciative of that for my, my coworkers at, at the bank where I was working, we had an amazing team of young guys that we would joke around. And uh, th- that was really important for me to just feel normal there and to to have that those connections where they weren't treating me any differently. That was, uh, yeah, I really look back fondly on my time at the bank. And I got lunch recently with some of my previous coworkers, which now I was actually laughing about it because my LinkedIn still says I'm at the bank. Uh, I got an update recently that said like, Congra- congratulate Drew Stockton on eight years at Regions Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not exactly not the truth. <laughs> yeah, but I'm very appreciative for, for my time there at the bank mm-hmm. and the people there and how amazing they were to me during that time. And you know, they were the ones that allowed for me to take the time off to, to travel. So they were a big part of supporting me in what was a, a difficult time. What I'm hearing as well in this and what I think a lot of people will hear as well is like how how great grateful you are towards others and how much appreciation you have towards the people that that walked you through this journey that supported you through this journey with yourself and at the same time like can't you can't see your own strength and how you Mm. how incredible that you were to hold that um that heaviness um and that vulnerability of someone who maybe didn't want the intention on him and still allowed it because knew that it was coming from the right place, the hearts of other people, but the strength that you had as yourself to, to walk yourself through that journey is, is incredible. And something that at your, at that young age, I mean, I'm 26 now, so similar age to, to when you walk through and I couldn't even imagine going through that. So like, I just want to take a moment to say like, to, to see yourself in that and see yourself in, in, in that, in that, appreciation for the pain that you were able to hold because Mm. it's a lot. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do. (laughs) But I do still feel this part of me that is, Mm. is, is like from the outside, it, it seems like this pretty impressive Mm. feat and control and, willing to, you know, ability to be with these big things, but kind of like we were saying earlier, I don't think I was really with it. My strategy Mm -hmm. was dissociation and I don't know. I just, I didn't feel different. I felt like anybody could go through what I was going through and I was getting special attention and treatment for doing things that anybody could do. Like I know some of my friends at the university, they, they had some pretty vicious hangovers too, and they would be just as capable of, of handling chemo as I was, Mm -hmm. you know? But I do think that I started to step into this, you know, role and ability to inspire people during that process. And I did start to feel some value and purpose in that. And I remember I posted a picture before my first chemo treatment, and then I posted a picture uh, ringing the bells at the last treatment. And um, yeah, I, I could feel that I was having an impact on people, that people were mm. moved. And that did feel good. I felt like there was something going on there that energized me and sharing from that space. And even though I was uncomfortable with the whole public eye, I think I could start to starting to have little taste of 
the potential of my story, uh, even though that was you know very early on in this this whole process to where I am now, I could see and recognize there was potential here in my unique story and the gratitude mm-hmm. that, that I had started to connect with, and how I could use this story potentially to to inspire and to make the world a bit better of a place. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And it's so, it's such a powerful thing that you could, you could see that early on as well, that this was like preparing you for something greater that you're going to do in your life. And it was going to be that first stepping stone for you to, as you said, had an impact on the world and actually create a better world in in the meantime. And so as we kind of dived into to a little bit of your story, I would love for, for you to share with us kind of after you, you rang that bell and after you started to to come out of, of being someone who was going through chemo and what did your life start to look like then? How did things begin to, to change with the way you mm-hmm. not only perceived yourself, but how you perceived your, your life? Like what were some of the learnings that yeah. the initial learnings that 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 process brought you yeah one thing i feel is important to mention is i struggled with anxieties and insecurities before cancer before cancer came into my life i was the kid in high school that was good at sports i did well in school i had a lot of friends so on the outside i had this perception of this guy's got it all he's very well-rounded you know and but on the inside i had pretty deep insecurities and anxieties about who i was and not not being this person that people perceived me to be so very similar to to that with, with cancer, it was kind of a common theme of this imposter, of this image that I'm sharing with the world when that's not really what I'm feeling on the inside. Mm-hmm. So I, do, I think that was important for me to mention that <clears throat> mm-hmm. because I think I used cancer to give me the excuse to take a bigger step, a bigger leap of faith. I knew that I had this excuse that Drew is the cancer survivor. He's been through so much. I knew that that's what my family and friends, my community in Atlanta that I was, you know, molded by, they they would say that that I had I had a good reason to take this little mini sabbatical after cancer. But on the inside, I knew that I had these issues, these insecurities, these anxieties before cancer. But I was just mm-hmm. using cancer to allow me to do something even bigger than I was already planning on doing. So, so in I was a way, almost interviewing- like it gave you an opportunity to Yeah. Exactly. So I was interviewing in different states in the United States in a different side of the real estate industry because I needed a change. This is before cancer. So I was looking to change things up. I felt empty inside. I was making a lot of, I was making six figures, you know, my low twenties with no previous experience. I was making a lot of money. I had a big group of friends, family in my home city that I was grown, grown up in. And was still feeling empty, like something's just off. Like I have everything. Mm-hmm. And then cancer came. And so after cancer, I wanted to explore this. Like, what is this stuff that I've always dealt with within myself? Like, I wanted to know if if happiness was a real thing. And I used mm-hmm. cancer to take a bigger leap of faith. So my buddy was backpacking. One of my best friends, his brother, and one of his brother's good friends, who I was also good friends with these guys as well. They were backpacking in Colombia. And one month after my final chemo treatment, I went to join them for for two weeks. So I took two weeks off the bank, which is a big deal in the United States. Two weeks for a young guy in their low 20s to take a two-week vacation. Vacation is not as encouraged in the US, especially for for younger people. 
Um, and I, I recognize that my situation was unique, but just in general, vacation time in the U.S. for young people is not as encouraged. You're supposed to be working and you know developing your your place and your position in the company. And uh, sometimes the older guys don't respect the younger guys that are taking vacation. Whereas in Europe, I think it's much more encouraged, and uh, which I think is amazing and healthy. But that was kind of a little uh, side tangent there. Uh, but basically, those two weeks in Colombia really opened my eyes to a different world uh, of travelers, of backpackers that were traveling with uh, no end date in mind, just going day to day for months at a time. No, they weren't worried about their future. They were literally trying to be as present as possible and enjoy life and the adventure and energy that can come with adventure and travel and new experiences. So I was just really moved by meeting some of these people and and how energizing it was for me to travel and to put myself out of my comfort zone because I'd really never traveled like that before. And those two weeks just kind of really opened the door for me wanting to do more of that. <laughs> That's what I realized in those two weeks was like, whoa, like I could I could really see myself enjoying this life and I have the excuse. Like I can do this. I have the money and I have the excuse. So I came back to the bank, worked for a few more months, just long enough to get my annual bonus, which is big at the bank. And it's 45% of my salary, which was already a pretty big salary for, for a kid my age. So I saw that hit the bank account and I quit that day um, with a, a seven week trip to Peru planned. So I knew that I only had seven weeks. I was coming back for a friend's wedding. And in my mind, seven weeks, like I said, seven, two weeks is a big vacation. So seven was like, woof, this is a, mm -hmm. a long time. I think I can get this, this out of me, whatever it is, this, this travel bug. I can, seven weeks will give me more than enough to get that out of me. But what, what happened, uh, as I think you could probably guess, is that it just energized me more. And it, it changed my perspective on time. I realized that mm -hmm. seven weeks is nothing and that there's a lot of world that I want to see. And there's a lot for me to continue to learn and unlearn about myself. And yeah, so kind of just follow that started my whole journey of following my intuition and really trusting and letting, letting myself be pushed in a lot of different places. So my journey mm -hmm. has taken me to a lot of different physical locations in, in South America and Europe. Um, but I think more than anything, I've started to understand myself more, my own suffering and anxieties and, and my purpose and using my story, my unique story to be able to share and inspire and to live aligned in line with my purpose. So mm -hmm. I think that it's been a long journey of, you know, coming up on five years since my final chemo treatment of bringing me to exactly where I am today with, with the experiences and the learnings that I've had and becoming more confident in my unique purpose, my unique offering, mm. my unique self. And yeah. Wow. Mm, taking that in. <laughs> Incredible that you like allowed yourself to just continue to follow that, right? Because there was there could have been that program that came in and was like, nope, you've got to get back to a normal life. You've got to get back to what everyone says you you're supposed to do but you continue yeah. to follow that intuition which i think is is your light that you can also allow other people to to do as well and yeah i wondered when you had that that initial realization that the life that you were living was 
was not the life for you. Um, and did you see, like, when you reflect back with hindsight on the life you were living before, how that actually, you mentioned something to me earlier, so I was just kind of dropping into this, of, like, how how actually, because you were living outside of what you really wanted to experience and what you really wanted to do, how that kind of created created the cancer in a way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful question. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that I've recently feel like I've given some attention to. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was reading this book on nutrition and lifestyle. And I think the stat was like 90 to 95% of cancers are lifestyle related. And mm-hmm. for me, that made so much sense based on what I was eating and putting into my body and having this chronic anxiety as a, as a kid and growing up and that was chronic and it was always there in combination with the the stuff I was putting into my body like I I started to really see that and believe that there were, that was lifestyle related was this this disease that I kind of created based on the way that I was living and at in the beginning when I was first diagnosed I was I did not have those thoughts at all. It was like, whoa, like how I'm so unlucky. Like, this is just, what are the chances this happens to me? It didn't cross my mind that it could be diet or, or anxiety. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I thought maybe it could have been one of those nights of heating up a plastic in a microwave, you know, it's just something just totally mm-hmm. unlucky. Um, but yeah, I think that I've recently I've started to come to appreciate and, and see that, the lifestyle I think was a big part of this, of this disease. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what I'm trying to share in this new business, this health coaching, sharing yoga and meditation is, is healthier lifestyle and to start feeling and living your best now, not only just to, to enjoy and be a happier life, but also to have preventative health and to avoid some of these potential diseases that, that can come from this unhealthy lifestyle and not Mm -hmm. wait you know, like you don't need cancer. You don't need a health crisis to start living your best life right now. That is the message that I want to share with my community and my people. And that's what I've done since my my disease was prioritize myself. But what I want to share to other people is that you don't need this disease or any disease to, to change, to start feeling better, to start having more preventative health for the future. Like we can start now. Let's get ahead of these things. Let's do it now. You deserve mm-hmm. to feel better now. And so this is what I've been really connecting with in my own my own story, my own life, my own experience, and how this can hopefully inspire others to, to prioritize themselves and their health and their well-being more. Mm. What a powerful message, can I just say, in the way that you said that, like, and I've known you for for you know over a year now, so I've seen how that that message has grown. So to hear mm. you speak it in such a with such conviction. And to feel your energy as you say it and to just know that like you truly mean that from such a deep place in your heart, which I think is just, Mm. and I'm sure everyone who's tuning into this will also, also feel that. I wondered now, like you saw that shift in yourself, your lifestyle changed, your whole way of being changed, everything that you were doing in your life completely shifted. How did that look internally? What was the shift that that happened for you internally? And obviously this is over mm. the past, you know, five years, but what, what was the, some of the things that you began to shift internally that allowed 
your lifestyle to begin to reflect that? I think I was curious from the very beginning. Like I wanted to understand what was going on. I wanted to understand some of these big questions within life. So I was doing a lot of reading and I was opening my mind, not only to what I was reading in these different books and different authors and different kind of areas of mental and physical well-being, but also from the people that I was meeting and connecting with that were also more open-minded living choosing to live differently, maybe more consciously as well. And I think that I was being exposed to people and experiences that were showing me that there are different ways of living. And what I had grown up with, the the bubble of where I was and what was expected and what was normal for life, I realized it's not. it doesn't have to be that way. There's other ways of living and there's other options. And I just felt very lucky that I was able to break out of that because I had this this kind of excuse and this different path for me. And so I think I just kept following these things that were interesting to me. And I could sense that my mind was changing on things. Looking back on my time, I didn't have any real opinions on things. Like you said, now you can feel conviction and energy. These aren't things that I had in mm-hmm. previously at the bank. I could talk to you about sports. I could talk to you about the American football team in my city baseball, basketball, those were things that I could maybe speak with a little bit of confidence in, but I had no opinion on anything outside of that. Uh, And that was something I remember thinking about was I want to have a a, a real opinion on things and to like feel like I know what I care about besides sports. It's like, I like to think that I care about something besides, besides sports. Um, So I started, you know, following this interest and a lot of the things I was reading kept coming back to meditation and meditation being such a powerful tool that can help find more peace and happiness. And I had done these apps, Headspace, I was using uh, 10 minutes a day, not consistently, you know, a couple days a week. Um, But I was was aware that this kept coming up for me and and the different books I was reading and some of the people, interesting people I was meeting. So I was onto it and I wanted to understand why I wasn't experiencing anything in meditation. It's like, I've tried that, it doesn't do anything for me. But then I, a podcast of a guy that I was listening to that was also really helping me shift and open my mind to different ways of thinking and living, uh, the Sam Harris podcast, a neuroscientist and philosopher that really kind of helped me think deeper about topics and, and issues in society. And he really recommended intensive, an intensive meditation retreat as a way to deepen uh, the, this potential experience. And I know we've talked about this before. I talked about it on your first podcast. The 10-day Vipassana course was, if I point to one moment, it was it was this, this moment, this experience that really changed and finally gave me the clarity that I was open to in my travels up to that point. You know, I was open. I was very open and moving around to all these different places, different people, different books. So I think there was that openness, uh, but I had not really come to any clarity at that point. You know, it was... It was I was curious and I was interested and I was open, but it really wasn't until that first 10 day Vipassana meditation course where I left being like, whoa, this makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. I feel like I understand where I need to be putting my time and energy going forward. And everything I'm doing today is is still in line with what I learned at that course and have really yeah, taken that, taken that mm-hmm. with me. What were some of those biggest learnings? I think some of the biggest learnings was just 
in regards to the mind and the body connection and how powerfully they're impacting each other. I think that I had some of my first moments and experiences of, of recognizing that I'm not my mind, Mm -hmm. that the mind that we live, most of us live our lives just lost in thought always, you know, throughout the day and the past thinking about the past or the future attaching to this, to the ego of who we think we are. Uh, but in that course, in this deep, you know, silence of meditation for 10 days, I had moments where I could observe from a separate place, the mind, where I wasn't the mind. It wasn't me, but I recognized that I'm something else that is, is a, able to observe the mind. And then seeing the connection between the mind and the body and how much of the pain that we're carrying around with us is a product of the mind. Not to say all of it is, but I think a lot of the pain that we're holding on to is a product of our mind. And so in these meditation courses, you're taught to, to sit with the pain. You know, you sit with for an hour straight and observe, observe this uncomfortable sensation. For me, it was you know, piercing pain in my back. But if you can sit with it with a totally relaxed and calm mind, often the pain will dissolve away. And it was a really powerful experience to see how strong this connection between the mind and the body was and how some of this pain is, is deeply emotional pain that we're holding on to. And with these experiences, often things come up, like things come up, mental memories and images and emotional pain comes up with this connection between the mind, body, psyche that you're sitting with. And not to say that all pain is emotional, because I don't think that's the case. I think that sometimes just literally there's a structural issue with the way I'm sitting in meditation and my hip, it really hurts. And there's no emotional pain to that. But I do think that there is a lot of pain that we're holding on to that is emotional Mm -hmm. and that is a product of our mind that is constantly reacting. So I think for me, it was this combination of things that I learned was that I'm not my mind, that the mind is a tool. It can be amazingly creative and useful for us, but it can also cause us harm. And we, I think a lot of us live imprisoned to the mind, and, but we have mm-hmm. this ability to, to train the mind to where we, we use the mind. We use its amazing creativity to support us in our mission, but we don't let it just take us and torment us in some of the negative thought patterns that it often is capable of. And then I also realized the importance of the body in, in these courses and how <clears throat> the body is holding on to so much, how intelligent the body is and how I really needed to focus on connecting with my body. So that is was a huge takeaway. And that is what led me into yoga. So that was yoga for me was, it just made so much sense after this meditation mm-hmm. course of a way of, it's like a moving meditation. So I think it was a way of, of calming this, this, this monkey crazy mind that I had and to connecting deeper with my body, which was truly intelligent and which was a place that I had lived disconnected to my entire life. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, those were the kind of the big insights mm-hmm. and takeaways that, have, that really gave me clarity. And then I think the last part was just this, this love and this, this deep authentic desire for all beings to come out of suffering, mm-hmm. to see and recognize that all of us are suffering and to truly hope and believe and send this compassion and goodwill towards all other beings for them to come out of their suffering, but also send it to yourself for you to come out of your own suffering. So that was a big, big takeaway. And 
And that was a moment where I had at the end of this retreat, when we meditated a meta meditation of loving kindness towards all beings, where I was just overwhelmed with deep, deep emotions coming up. And I remember just crying and just going all the way down my body and mm. a huge, huge discharge. And mm. I, I don't think I'd ever felt an off, such an authentic and real love as I did in this room of 60 plus people all meditating on peace and happiness and a world with less suffering. It was just mm. so deeply powerful for me. And that moment, I know I'll never forget and I will take it with me wherever I'm going. And I, that is kind of my foundation is, you know, I end every yoga class by saying, may all be happy, may all be peaceful. Cause that is really, that's the foundation. Everything I'm doing is in line with that. Like I want to be happy. I want to be peaceful. And I know that I am learning these tools to help me be happier and peaceful, more peaceful. And I'm hoping to be a resource for others and share some of these things I'm learning so that they can also be happier and more peaceful. So yeah, mm-hmm. this, this retreat, this Vipassana course had a very, very wow. big impact on me. And I'm very appreciative that this was one of my first entries to this world of, yeah. I mean, what an entry into this world. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. as we as we come to, to a close as well with, with this interview and, I don't even know what to respond to that, to that what you just said. <laughs> I could just feel everything moving through me and, I, and it was just wow. So I just invite everyone who's listening now to feel what that brings up for you. And, and, and then what I see in your journey is this, this movement from this disassociation and this disconnection to like real grounded connection. Like that's the person I see sitting in front of me now who I've been blessed enough to get to know really well as well. And I guess as we finish up, you've had so many takeaways and so many things through this, but the Drew that's sitting here now, that's like right here, right now in this moment, what does he know now? What does he believe? What does he feel now Hmm. about his journey? I think he feels confidence and trust and a a level of certainty that things are going to work out and that I have a big role and impact to make and that I'm ready to step into that role and to start living, continue to live aligned with this this purpose, this value, this energy, and to let go of all the fear. And I just want to say thank you to you for, for bringing me on a year and a half ago of one of your first podcasts and for continuing to maintain this connection. Two, and to, if anyone wants to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and to you inspire me. And I love that you're going for it and you're following your heart. And, and I've really appreciated you. I think you've held me you know, accountable and you've seen the greatness in me. And I have felt that. And you've really kind of pushed me in certain areas to, to start stepping more into this role. And yeah, I just really appreciate that and am thankful for the impact that you've had on my journey and really admire what you've been doing on your own unique journey. So I hope that you continue to keep up all this awesome work and all of the time and energy you're doing is is definitely making an awesome positive impact on our world. Thank you so much, my love. And thank you for being here with with me in this space um, and sharing from your heart and allowing people to see into your journey, see through your eyes. and, And I guess for everyone who's listening now, like, tune into what resonates with you because 
I know this is Drew's mission now is to use his journey to allow people to tune into to their own intuition and what that looks like for them on it in a, such a unique way, right? We're all unique. So allow Drew's journey to be permission for you to explore what does that want to look like for you? So as we finish up, Drew, I'd love for you to, to tell people like, what are the, what's the next thing? What's happening for you? What's the next steps for you? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, and if there's any way that people can connect with you, reach out after this podcast to let them know as well. Yeah. So I'm currently working on my health coaching business. So I've got my name. I've got, I'm working on my logo and colors and I'm finishing up this training this month. So I'll be certified as a health and life coach, which I'm super excited about. And that will be coming out in September where I'll be you know, fully launched and having hopefully clients and, and getting that business up and running. And the plan is to be back in Valencia where I'll be sharing yoga, continue to share yoga and expand this yoga offering. Uh, but for now, I'm really focused on really growing this, this mission, this my purpose and living fully in this world of health and well-being. And it's going to be with this health and life coaching business as one place and then continuing with the yoga. And so this, this health and life coaching is, it's open. I think it's, it's going to evolve and change, but, but for now I'm focused on this one-on-one offering and having this, this kind of foundational 90 day program and then letting that open to whatever it needs to, to turn into, but drawing on all of my experiences and skills that I've been learning and developing in this journey and seeing, like you said, the uniqueness in each person and finding out what, what, how the best way to work with each unique individual is and always coming from this, this humble place and always coming from this place of truly hoping and desiring peace and happiness for you and for, for everybody, including myself. So that's the foundation that I'll continue to come back to, but I am going to be stepping more into this role and I'll be active, more active on my social media, so that's a good place to find me for now. And hopefully my web- website will also be launched with the business awesome. in September. So awesome. September is kind of what's feeling like the big timing and coming out that's party. so funny. Yeah. I've spoke to so many people and all of them are like, September feels like to me, it's going to be this big opening. Ah, so nice. you're moving yeah. with the energy of all of us that are also on this journey. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So uh, Drew's Instagram is in the show notes. So for anyone who wants to connect with him, please head down there reach out to him and I just want to before we finish up honor you for your strength your vulnerability your authenticity in this ability to share your story not just saying what people want to hear saying your truth from your heart which is not always the easiest thing to do especially when there's parts of us that want to to please and make other people happy but I see the shift that you've had in yourself to actually show up and now I'm going to tell my story from my truth because it's only with our truth that we can really allow other people to see theirs and open up to theirs. So I want to honor you for for doing that and also for giving permission to people like myself, like all of the listeners here to to open up to their truth and to tell their truth in the way that feels right for them. So thank you for that and Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Mm. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, everyone who's tuned in today. If you want to listen to Drew's uh, episode from before, I think it's episode two. We spoke a little bit about the Pasana Retreat and um, Ayahuasca 
as well on there so if you want to explore a bit more of Drew's journey you can head there or head down to the show notes and and connect with him on Instagram thank you so much everyone and I will see you all next week for another episode much love bye bye